Hey, everyone, it's Bax. Today's podcast is brought to you by Canna Provisions. Canna Provisions is an adult-use cannabis dispensary with the largest selection of cannabis products in Western Mass, with locations in both Holyoke and in Lee. They offer a warm, unique shopping experience with guides rather than bud tenders. In fact, they're not just a dispensary. They're a destination. Visit CannaProvisions.com. That's CannaProvisions.com. Adults 21, please and please consume responsibly. And now, Baxi's Musical Podcast. Bexy's musical podcast. Whenever a celebrity passes away, we tend to fixate on their public legacy. It's a way in which we connect to their loss, but what we fail to sometimes consider is that a person's legacy isn't just about their professional accomplishments or their place in history. Their real legacy lies in the people they leave behind, their children, their family, their loved ones, who are sometimes left with the tireless responsibility of curating that legacy while simultaneously dealing with their own grief and their own sense of loss. In some respects, it's just a part of human nature to look at the grief of others and somehow make it our own without any real understanding of what was really left behind. In 2011, Polystyrene, the lead singer of the legendary UK punk band X-Ray Specs, died of cancer at the age of 53. Polystyrene was a groundbreaking artist who not only released one of the most essential punk albums of its time with 1978's Germ-Free Adolescence, it was an album that included three top 40 singles in the UK charts. This was a band that was arguably as influential as some of its other contemporaries like The Clash or The Sex Pistols. They appeared on the BBC's Top of the Pops. They came to New York and appeared before a packed crowd at CBGB's. But more importantly, Polly Styrene was also the first biracial woman to front her own punk band in the UK while facing discrimination and a growing battle with mental illness brought on in part by the bewildering pressures of success and sheer exhaustion. And while she may have been known to her fans for her positive lyrics, her outrageous day-glow style, at home... She was just known as Marion Ellett Said, the mother of an only child, her daughter Celeste. And that's really where her true legacy begins and where it belongs. Celeste Bell, the daughter of Polystyrene, is about to release an amazingly beautiful documentary about her mother's life called Polystyrene, I Am a Cliché. She and director Paul Singh pieced together a beautifully crafted tribute to one of the most complex women in music history. It's a touching story that takes an honest look into her mother's personal demons as well as confronting some of her own. This is my conversation with Celeste Bell, the daughter of Marion Elliott Said, also known as Polystyrene from X-Ray Specs on Baxi's Musical Podcast. How are you? Good. How are you, Michael? Very, very good. Thank you so much for uh, for doing this and, and rescheduling it. It's, it's nice to know that uh, when an internet problem comes, it's not always my fault. So that's... That's good. I don't mind blame you and blaming you at all. I rarely do this. I I, uh, I saw the film not once, but I actually saw it twice. And uh, oh, wow. and and the reason for that is, you know, the first time I just I just I loved it, and I watched it as a as a fan of your mom. But the second time, I really wanted to focus on unpacking what was really in there. It is a beautiful tribute to your mom. And on one hand, What's interesting to me about it is you're you're honoring your mom and her successes and her struggles, but at the same time, in order for you to tell that story, 
you're really confronting your own vulnerabilities too. And that, I, I assume that had to be a very difficult story for you to tell. Yes, of course it's challenging, but it was the only story that I could tell because I think, you know, honesty, being honest and open, um, that makes for better storytelling, um, you know. So clearly, like someone as sort of remarkable as my mother, um, you know, that obviously that is not going to be always, you know, having a relationship with someone who is that like, creative and uh, unique and individual she was there were always going to be challenges you know naturally there are going to be challenges when that person is also your parent especially if they are uh, struggling with mental health difficulties as she did she suffered from bipolar disorder and she lived a very unorthodox lifestyle even post x-ray specs she joined the Hare Krishna movement you know in the in the 80s when I was a small child so you know, of course, uh, to tell that story, honestly, I would have to, you know, also talk about the challenges and the difficulties and, and how it, you know, it wasn't all like uh, a, a walk in the park, let's say. Yeah. <laughs> what were you hoping people would understand about your mom in, in telling the story? Like you said, I mean, there's, there's a lot of complicating factors in her, in her life uh, and, and mental illness plays a huge part in this, but there's also the fact, I mean, you're, you're talking about a woman at the time of her, at the height of her uh, music career was 19 and 20 years old. I mean, a, a really just a child. What, what are you hoping that people you take away from this as far as who your mom was really all about? Yeah, that's right. She was, she was so young. And it, I think the remarkable thing about my mother is that, you know, she lived many lives. She had many names. And, uh, you know, so people knew her as Polly, people knew her as, as Marion, that was her, her real name, birth name, um, Marie, and then Maharani when she joined the Hare Krishna movement. And then to me, she was mum, you know. So that for me is like what I, you know, was really keen on alongside Paul. Uh, we were really keen to kind of, uh, you know, bring to light this, contradict these contradictions yeah so this is a person who had many names she had many identities she had many personalities and she lived many lives polystyrene was a very early you know manifestation let's say or incarnation of, of who she was when she was a teenager and she achieved so much at such a young age um, but then she had this whole life after that um, which was just as fascinating, maybe even more so. So it was really, yeah, we're really keen to, you know, not just dwell on, you know, polystyrene as a musician, but also Marion Elliot, also Mom, also Maharani, all of these other identities. You mentioned earlier on in the film, and I, I actually thought this was a very interesting point. You know, here in the States, we, we view celebrity in a very different way than other parts of the world, obviously. You, you mentioned a part where that you were bearing responsibility for managing your mother's legacy. And it's interesting mm -hmm. to me because, you know, here in the States, we've lost a number of uh, you know, celebrities in the last couple of months. And we oftentimes as, as, as fans of these people kind of misplace where the legacy should lie. It's not just about their public achievements, but their legacy really lies in the people that are left behind in, in your mom's case that's you but in some regards you're telling the story what it really says to me is in a way 
you've always been doing this for your mom. I mean, you're a, you're a you're a child with a celebrity mom. You may or may not understand what's going on with her career, and at some point, you're talking about how boring it is to sit there and listen to your mom go through uh, through interviews. But but I think there's something to be said about it. being the offspring of somebody famous has a lot of responsibility to go along with it. Absolutely, and it's not a role that you would necessarily choose <laughs> to to you know, or or a situation you would necessarily want to be born into because. Um, you know, first of all, I think there's this misconception that there's a, it's a charmed life, you know, and a life of of wealth and opportunities, um, and that's often not the case because fame, you know, and we talk about this in the film, is very important message. I think fame does not equal money or wealth. Um, there are a lot of a lot of famous people who find it very difficult to make a living, especially once your your name is out there and to do anything else. So you're kind of trapped in a sense. Um, you know, you can't just go and get a regular job after you've been on, you know, TV <laughs> singing and dancing. So you're kind of trapped into that lifestyle. And if you're the, you know, if you're born into it, it's uh, something you can never be rid of because, um, you know, it will always kind of hang over you in the sense of, yes, responsibility. Um, and people, you know, your parent is not only your parent, basically. Your parent means a lot to a lot of people that you don't even know. And uh, and those people want to, they want to, you know, they want to know about her through you, you know. So it's something that you have to make peace with. It's very difficult to just walk away. And I'm also an only child. So there's no one else really that I could share this with, um, you know, this responsibility. But of course, it's also an honor and there are privileges and there are opportunities. And, you know, it's definitely allowed me to, to express myself creatively in this way through the medium of film, which has, you know, been a remarkable journey. Um, so, you know, I when at the beginning, you know, you may be, when I say like, oh, I had to deal with all of this, you know, I wasn't ready. Um, yes, that's kind of how I have felt throughout my life many times, but I, I am also grateful. And, um, and you know, I balanced out that kind of maybe stress that I've experienced with this sort of legacy with, with the, you know, the, the luck that I have that I get to, to, you know, explore such an interesting, fascinating story and that be part of my story. Your mother, um, as we've as you've mentioned before, uh, earlier here, is is uh, a very multifaceted individual. There's no question about that. I mean, she's not only not only a woman uh, fronting her own punk band; she's a biracial woman fronting her own punk band. But there's a there's a part in the film which I just thought was just like so aggravating to watch, and I'm sure it and it probably ha- I'm sure it happens even today. There's a there's a whole bunch of questions to your mom from the media, mostly men who are asking questions about your mother's looks and her braces yeah. and you know the fact that she didn't look like you know Linda Ronstadt the, the very same thing that was inspiring a lot of young women at the time it's funny how you know your mom sang so much about identity and individuality and you know here's someone who is expressing it but yet being punished by it by you know a pretty insensitive media i mean it had to be so difficult 
and maddening to watch those tapes and then watch your mom react to those kinds of questions. Definitely. It's mad. It's maddening. But it's also, you know, I love those moments because my mom really, you know, even though sometimes you can see that she was affected, of course, she was affected and it, it, it had a negative impact on her self-esteem. And but you also see her kind of, you know, like challenging that behavior as well, even if if the challenge was just by being, you know, like deadpan and non-committal, you know, not and, and not answering in the way that they wanted and not really playing that game, you know, that game of, you know, you go on a TV show and they ask you stupid questions and you kind of go, my mom was never really going along with it, you know, and uh, she was, she was really being true to her, to who she was, you know, um, in those interviews, you know, there's no like fake, charm or, or you know she's kind of charmless <laughs> to the extent and I, I love that and so just seeing that I'm like you know you go 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 mom you know it's great to see in the film you also mentioned about how by the age of four you were starting to notice you know that there were issues with your mom you know mental health issues and in, at the part where the band x-ray specs goes to New York and that seemed to be like the door that kind of led your mom down a pretty dark, dark path at a young age, you know, and observing changes in your mom, whether they're slow or dramatic, especially when she comes back as a, as a kid, how were you led to understand what was going on with your mom or, or even could you understand what was going on with your mom? Yeah, I couldn't actually, I couldn't really, when I was very small, I couldn't really understand. So I didn't really know what was going on in terms of my mother's mental health. You know, maybe I would, I could, I could understand if she was in a good mood or a bad mood, but that was really about the extent of it. And I think when I was around four, uh, four or five years old, um, I started to kind of be able to see how other people saw her, you know, and, um, and that was very traumatic because, um, yes, I basically started to understand that there was something wasn't right in my, you know, in the way that my mother was responding to things or, you know, that there was there was something wrong with her, with her brain, essentially. I kind of got that understanding when I was little, you know, that's kind of how I saw it. There's something wrong with my mum's brain. It doesn't work in the same way as other people's. It doesn't work in the same way as mine. So that was a kind of a, it was very traumatic because you don't want to think of your parent, who's your primary caregiver, as not being able to really look after you. Um, because when you have that realization, you feel very vulnerable. And especially if you're a small child, then you're like, well, who the hell is going to look after me? Um, you know, I guess a part of me realized at an early age, I had to look after myself. The, um, the scene which she's at, CBGB's in New York. She's getting off stage. You know, your mom is not, you know, a, 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 a tall woman. She's a very small, petite woman, four foot five or whatever. She, I mean, really very tiny. Being practically mauled by people as she's getting off the stage. You, you see, uh, you know, her getting off the stage, and there are there are all these men trying to, you know, plant a kiss in your mom's face, and you know, really overwhelming her. Tell me about. New York and 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 what was it in your mind that when you look at the footage or or you or even as she described it what was it about New York that was so overwhelming and ultimately dangerous for her 
I think it was mainly um, the heavy, heavy, heavy drug taking that was happening at the time on the New York scene um, that wasn't as prevalent in the UK at the time. So that was a big difference. And my mum was kind of exposed to that. Um, and I think, but beyond that, it was, um, I think it was just the, the different stage that the United States as a whole um, had reached in terms of modernity and in terms of um, cap capitalism and consumerism. And it meant that my mum went to the States with a lot of, she had like a lot of British people at the time. The only kind of understanding they had of the United States was through television, through movies, you know, um, Hollywood. And, um, and so she had this idea of how it would be kind of romanticized idea, of course. Um, and then the reality was like so much had such a bigger impact, I think, that then she was prepared for even the fact that that people had guns and things like that. You know, she was she told me, I remember when I was a kid, she was like, oh, we you know, we, we, were, we were staying in a hotel off Times Square and we could hear gunshots at night, which is completely like you at the same time in, in London, you just couldn't imagine, you know, um, and then going into these supermarkets, which were just huge and just full of stuff, which again, in the UK at that time, you know, it just wasn't available. And the TV having all these different channels and then just advertising everywhere. It's like, I think it's hard for people to understand how, how uh, shocking that was because, you know, nowadays the UK is, is very much a modern, you know, very modern 21st century country, you know, it's right. probably on a similar level to the US, but it wasn't in 77. I would say, you know, London was about 20 years behind New York, really. So I think that had a, a big impact on like a cult on her. Well, and, and, and New York, Times Square, the Bowery where C CBGB's was in 1977, 78 were maybe two of the very worst places in the world for anyone who was going in with, you know, uh, you know, a wide-eyed optimism and any kind of naivete. There's like war, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be caught dead, uh, in 1977 Times Square, and I'm, you know, significantly older than you and your mom probably combined. But you know, <laughs> I, I'm watching that footage, and I and I just can't help but but think that you know, you're you're placing someone who is. I don't want to say immature, but just, you know, unexperienced in, in the world, worldly to an extent, and then tossing her into the, into this, into a, like a fire pit and expecting yeah. that, you know, it, that it doesn't have an impact. And I think anytime yeah. you have someone who is young and thrust in a spotlight, you know, in England, for example, you know, being on top of the pops, that's a huge yeah. deal that many of us in the U S don't quite understand, but it, that was a huge deal and then all of a sudden, you wonder why so many celebrities, young celebrities, struggle with yeah. uh, trying to understand how to live your life as a normal human being in a situation that is absolutely not normal. Absolutely. It's a really good point. And I think it's, it's kind of it's a shame that in the modern world, in modern society, we, we've set up all of these industries, including the music industry, to be something that you kind of are expected to do at a very young age. You know, it's a horrifically ageist industry. So if you're like, you know, in your 30s and you want to get start a music career, 
you know, you're going to face so many closed doors, which is really messed up because <laughs> in your 30s, maybe you're actually prepared, you know, and you've developed and you've grown and you're, you're, you understand yourself and who you are. And I mean, it would be the perfect time to, to get into music. But no, it's like the industry wants kids. It wants people that they can shape and they can mold and they can manipulate, unfortunately. There were a number of women that were narrating along the way in in the film uh you know pauline black from selector and 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 several others and and they all cite your mom as a major influence so in, in spite of all of that you still had someone who had so much promise and 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 potential she took these big breaks away from music to satisfy like a like a struggle of faith i suppose you could say and you, and you mentioned hari krishna also i mean did she ever have any regrets or, or you know second guesses about being away from music for as long as she did or did that really not matter to her at that point I think she was it was kind of on and off um how she felt about music or she was conflicted let's say um and so it was a constant conflict of you know it's kind of like not she was it didn't make her happy being in it but um but she kind of was attracted to it constantly to go back, you know, um, because obviously there was there were a lot of she was basically she was a, a hugely creative person and was um, you know music was just inside her was in her bones. So even if she you know she didn't like touring, she didn't like performing live, you know, because of those experiences of like live gigs and. You know, she didn't particularly like being on TV or any of that, but she loved writing and she loved singing and she loved performing. So I think it was, you know, it's, it's, it's again, it's like in the modern society, you know, we've created industries where artists, you know, are not necessarily, they don't necessarily feel at home because they're artists, they're not industry professionals, you know, and, um, so I think she always struggled with that. You know, she loved music and she loved writing and she loved creating. But yeah, she just, you know, she couldn't spend too long in the machine, you know, as it were. You went through the process and a lot of people do this when, you know, a, a loved one dies or, you know, a parent in particular. And you're going through some of her old things, some of her old stuff that she kept, you know, throughout her, her music career. And, 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 and I'm sure a whole lot more stuff, too, especially when she was with X-Ray Specs. What surprised you the most? about sorting through her things and you know the kinds of things that she kept what was what was the most surprising to you for me was what surprised me was what she was actually doing at the time in terms of how prolific she was as a visual artist so um she had done all the artwork herself for the band by hand you know so she designed the logo, she designed the album covers, posters, LP covers, you know, she was designing the clothes, she was making her own clothes. And so in, in the archive, I could see all of this firsthand, you know, I had a vague idea that she, you know, she, she told me, oh, I used to do all the artwork. But until I actually saw the artwork and I could see the process because I could see all the copies that she did by hand and tracing and how she did it, the process like with the tracing paper and and felt tip pens and going to photocopy shops. And, you know, that was true DIY um, artistry there that, you know, until I saw it for myself, I didn't really take it on board, you know, like what it meant. Also, because 
I'm of the generation where I grew up with computers and, and uh, you know, Photoshop and, and all of that. So, you know, we didn't have to do anything like that by hand. So, you know, it's really, that really impressed me. And that was kind of what prompted me to start this whole journey really was the archive and was the visual art because I was just like, well, people don't really know my mum as a visual artist, but she absolutely was. And I kind of wanted to get that out there. In your conversations with uh, with Paul Sung, who helped uh, direct the film, for many documentary filmmakers, there's a, there's a very thin line between telling the truth and sensationalizing a story. And yeah. I don't feel like that happened here. I think what, what happened here was it was a very, a, a very sensitive portrayal of your mom about mental illness without going to the point where it's exploiting that story. It's literally telling it how it is through your eyes. And I, I have to give both of you credit because it had to be a certain level of coordination and understanding on his part to make sure that it got done the right way. Absolutely. And it's, for Paul, of course, I could have been any, you know, co-director's nightmare because I'm, you know, the sub. I'm also kind of the subject of the film, and and then I have to also be making the film alongside Paul. So, you know, the big question is how, you know, how much uh, control over the narrative um, am I going to have, and how much, how truthful am I going to be with what I present, and you know, for me personally, I had to definitely like push myself sometimes to, you know, maybe reveal more than I would want to. Um, but for, and then in order to do that, I had to separate myself from my own story. It's not easy, but it is really um, at the same time, it was a really therapeutic process uh, for me to be able to do that, because I think sometimes we do have to put distance um, between ourselves and our memories, you yeah. know, in order to kind of keep going. Like I said, I, I thought the film was, was terrific. I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled that the two of you are getting lots of praise for it. They got to two British independent film awards. Uh, it's been at South by Southwest. You have to feel very happy with the final product and, and the way it's being received. Absolutely. It's such a, you know, just to hear people say, that they've not only enjoyed the film, but that it's had an impact. Um, you know what, and maybe it's even a negative impact for some people, It's but it's been overwhelmingly positive. And that's what, you know, that's what we got involved, why I got involved in this project is to, is to have an impact, you know, um, and, and for people to take something away from the film. Well, like I said, congratulations. It is a, it is a beautiful film. And I appreciate the time you, you took to, to talk about it today. Thank you very, very much. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. Today's podcast, again, brought to you by Canna Provision in Holyoke and Lee, Massachusetts. Check them out on cannaprovisions.com. If you like the show, feel free to share it, like it, review it, tell all your friends. You can reach me at backsatrock102.com. I'd love to hear what you think. And thanks again for listening to Baxi's Musical Podcast.